one of the advantages of being married to an interim pastor is that I have heard all kinds of church stories. One time John was interviewing with a church that had been around for about 300 years. And as you can imagine, theirs was a very rich and full history. And he asked them, what in all that time has been especially difficult? Well, they didn't tell about the minister's wife who'd been shot and killed by the British during the revolution. Nor did they mention the fires that had twice destroyed their sanctuary or the change in the neighborhood that had put them in an increasingly Hispanic population just as they were beginning to adjust to the black one. No, the thing that was the hardest had come along about 1843 when the man who was then their pastor believed William Miller's calculations for the end of the world. They sold their homes, put on their white robes, and went up on the hilltop to wait for Jesus. The trouble came when nothing happened and they had to come home again. They should have paid more attention to that last verse that says, you don't know neither the day nor the hour. Yes, this text has to do with the return of Jesus, but its focus is not on the arrival, but on what happens in that time of waiting. It's kind of like the investment counselor who says to you, you know, someday you're going to retire, you've got to send your kids to college, What are you going to do? What do you need to do to get ready? At that point, you sit down and you map out a plan, what you'll need and how you're going to get there. Well, the story that Jesus tells is focused on a wedding, one of the high spots of village life. You know, those little villages didn't have a lot going on, so a wedding was a really exciting thing. And all week the festivities have gone on and finally this last night the groom will come to claim his bride and take her to his home. When will he come? It's a surprise. That's part of the fun. And the bride's nervousness builds. Her friends are there to share the excitement. They look out the window. Is that him? No, it's someone else. I hear a noise. No, it's just the neighbor. The hour grows late and the bridesmaids sleep. And then, surprise, the bridegroom has finally come. Light your lamps. Escort the bride and grooms through the darkened streets. Laughter and joy spilling out of the house and through the village, calling others, come, come with us to the wedding feast. Hurry, light your lamps. The bridegroom has come. Except as Jesus tells the story, there's a problem. They've waited so long that some of the bridesmaids have run out of oil. If the groom hadn't waited so long to come, there would have been enough. But now, you see, the problem isn't that they fell asleep. Everybody fell asleep. The problem is that they didn't plan for the long term. So why not share? I mean, isn't that one of the first things we teach little kids? Share? Yet here it is, the wise bridesmaids who won't share. Is Jesus undermining mothers? Does he say no to this very basic idea that we're supposed to share with others? Or is he saying that there are some things you just have to do for yourself? Nobody else can do it for you. There's an old Sufi story of a disciple who once complained to his master, you tell us stories, but you never reveal their meaning to us. To which the master replied, How would you like it if someone offered you fruit 
and chewed it before giving it to you. Some things we just have to do for ourselves. Well, what is it that Jesus thinks we have to do for ourselves? What is this oil? What is it in the Christian life that nobody else can do for us? The commentators put a variety of labels on it, but it all boils down to the fact that the only way for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody else can do that for you. And even more, it has to be one that's going to last for the long haul, not one that burns out. In an article in Christian Century, New Testament scholar Luke Timothy Johnson talked about learning Jesus. And he suggests suggests the idea of learning rather than knowing because it speaks of a process rather than a product. And, you know, the obvious analogy is with human relationships. How do we learn another person? I mean, when I first started dating John, we spent time together, we'd go out to dinner and talk. We went places and we shared our reactions. We listened to each other. You've all done the same sorts of things. Brother Lawrence, a wonderful old monk, talks about the practice of the presence of God. And he writes, pray remember what I have recommended to you, which is to think often of God by day, by night, in your business, even in your diversions. God is always with you and near you. Leave God not alone. You would think it rude to leave a friend alone who came to visit you. Why then must God be neglected? Do not forget God, but think of God often. Adore God continually. Live and die with God. This is the glorious employment of a Christian. And if we not know it, we must learn it. Luke Johnson speaks of it as attentiveness. Attentiveness suggests alertness, yes, but also receptivity. It's a leaning toward the other. Attentiveness is present when we truly listen to the other person. Not just what we're going to say, but what they're saying. When we contemplate the other person. It doesn't assume that the other is already known, already figured out. Instead, it assumes that the other is always capable of change and even surprise. There's more, but you get the idea. What the parable suggests is that this is not a one-time event, but an ongoing process that keeps our spiritual lamps burning through all the long nights of waiting. Some years ago, a Lutheran publication, the Wittenberg Door, had a contest for the dumbest line from any kind of Christian song. (laughs) Wait, do you hear it? One of the winners, entitled, Give Me Oil in My Lamp, includes the memorable words, Give me unction in my gumption, let me function, function, function. (laughs) Do you think anybody ever sang that with a straight face? (laughs) Having laughed over that, I think it does have a point. One of the signs that there's oil in our lamps is how we function. When we have learned Jesus, when we've been attentive to his presence in our lives, then it does shine out in the way we live. It becomes visible in the commitments we make, the way we conduct our relationships, the way we spend our time, 
the words we say, the way we live in community, even the way we spend our money. Finally, there is a warning in this parable. Not just the warning that there are some things in the Christian life we can only do for ourselves. There's also the warning that if we wait too long, it could be too late. And we all know the excuses. We've made them. I don't have time. There's my family, my job, my community. Next year will be better. Of course, the trouble with tomorrow is tomorrow never comes. We were with friends one night who told about visiting in a little Episcopal church that had just lost two of its members in an airplane crash. The text was this morning's sermon, and Carol said, all the time you could feel everybody wandering. Were they ready? It was very powerful. Jesus says the reality is if you put it off too long, the party may very well start without you. And I know I'd rather be inside having a good time than out in the cold and the dark. What about you?